0: K-A-L-W.
1: I come here every weekend. She's the only lady I come get them from. Why is that? Ah, she's the best to me.
2: A park in Stockton is a weekend haven for Hmong and Cambodian food.
3: Do you make the sausage yourself? I make everything by myself
2: eating family recipes at Angel Cruz Park. Then how can you make your
0: home less reliant on fossil fuels? The Bay Area currently just does not meet national and California standards for clean air pollution. And we
2: hear a reading from Cameron Park author, Beverly Perino.
1: It's about this strength, the struggles, the resiliency of Filipina American and Filipina girls and women
2: a book recommendation from our podcast, New Arrivals, and more. I'm Hanat Baba, and this is Cross Currents. Today, we're starting out by going to Stockton, specifically to Angel Cruise Park to check out a food pop-up that stood the test of time. Vendors there have been selling homemade Hmong and Cambodian food for over 30 years. KLW senior editor Lisa Morehouse introduces us to them in her series, California Foodways, where she's been telling stories about farming and food from each of California's 58 counties.
4: I show up at 7 a.m. on a Sunday, and Rotana Latch is the first vendor to arrive at Angel Cruise Park. Before she sets up her cooking station, she sweeps the area clean with a tree branch. She used to show up even earlier.
3: I come by myself all the time, like around 3, 2 o'clock in the morning. She wanted to establish
4: herself in this prime spot. That didn't make her too popular with other vendors.
3: After that, they kill mine of me all the time. <laughs> but now this is your spot.
4: Yes, my <laughs> spot. Her car is stuffed with folding tables, charcoal, cleaning supplies.
3: You have to keep everything in your car, huh? Yeah, because I live at
4: my friend' house. She shares a room with her four kids at her friend's house. She pulls out coolers full of food she prepped at home in the middle of the night.
3: Uh, I make food, as beef, beef steak, chicken steak, sausage, angel wing, stuffed chicken, lao sausage, and papaya salad. Rotana sets up a
4: tabletop grill. She's been making and selling food here for 15 years
3: But she didn't grow up cooking. In Cambodia? I don't I don't want to cook. I don't want anything. You Um, didn't
4: want to cook when you were in Cambodia? No.
3: And when I my mom said, You have to cook no, I don't wanna cook. It felt too traditional to her.
4: Bertana was born in the city of Batambang in 1974 during the chaos of the war in Vietnam and ongoing regional conflicts. She says when she was a little girl, she was injured when a friend accidentally detonated an explosive.
3: My friend played with the, the bomb and blow it. He got his body, I get my body in my hand. Oh my goodness.
4: She shows me scars on her hand and says she has a lot more on her legs and neck from fragments and burns. So that was when you were a little girl? Yeah, I was like, um, seven years old. Her injuries can make it hard for Rotana to focus.
3: Sometimes it's like my head hurt, pain. I cannot hold my control myself. Sometimes. Sometimes it hurts so much, she can't even bear to have her kids around. And let me paint by myself, and after I my paint is gone, you guys come. She says a few years after the
4: explosion, the family moved out of the city to cultivate land closer to the
3: Thai border. I work in a farm every day with my dad, my sister, my brother, and my stepmom. Even as
4: a teenager, she says she resisted cooking.
3: I tell my stepmom, say, no, I don't want to cook. When the when the people ask me marriage, tell them, say, your daughter don't how to cook, and nobody come.
4: <laughs> Seems like maybe you didn't want to get married. No. But eventually, she did marry. She says her now ex-husband brought her to Stockton from Cambodia 20 years ago. The city is home to one of the largest populations of Cambodians in the United States. She says at first she really struggled.
3: I can only speak Cambodian, no writing, no reading. When I was, um, I came here, no speak English. I don't know how to write. In know.
4: English or in Cambodian?
3: Both. Both. I go to dog school. Yeah. Like fire. And she finally had to
4: learn to cook. At parties, she'd take peeks at what experienced cooks were doing, and she spent time online. Sometimes I look on YouTube. That's how you learn to cook mm-hmm. by watching YouTube videos and sneaking at parties. Yeah. <laughs> The charcoal is hot, and Rotana scrubs the grate before getting out the beef and chicken sticks, and the sausages. Do you make the sausage
3: yourself? I make everything by myself.
4: She says she makes enough money at this stall to raise her kids and send money back to relatives in Cambodia. Other vendors start to arrive, including some younger folks, whose stalls are on the western edge of the park. Steve Kim is one of them. He's got a fancy tent with laminated images of all the items he sells. Lemonades, boba teas, Cambodian foods, and waffles. He's happy to talk to me. He even has his co-worker film us so he can put it on TikTok.
5: As a Cambodian-American, we're known for using a lemongrass paste. Lemongrass paste, it has like kaffir lime leaf, garlic, longa, uh, turmeric, and then not a lot of people.
4: The are. 30-year-old says his stomach led him to start cooking.
5: You know, in the fourth grade, I was like, "Hey, mom's always working, dad's always working." You know, when you come after school, you're starving, and you're like, "Hey." You so know, he asked his
4: mom to teach him some Cambodian basics, and his cooking evolved from there. After managing restaurants for years and making food videos on TikTok, he started selling at Angel Cruise Park in the summer of 2023 to see if he could build a customer base before jumping into a full-fledged restaurant.
5: Yeah, so once I got my business license and everything all set up, my permits and everything, I was like, hey, let's just try it out.
4: He started out with three types of lemonade, strawberry, grapefruit, and dragon fruit, and then grew. Steve says this informal market is a Stockton institution.
5: Angel Cruz Park has been around over, I think, 30 years. So when the South uh, East Asians uh, migrated from Asia, they decided to, you know, hey, to showcase their food and their culture. And then um, since then this park has grown a lot. It's, the food is cheap, it's made fresh uh, to order and yeah, people just like it because it's like a community uh, community event. He
4: likes that there are multiple generations here, elders who established this tradition
5: and people his age who are expanding on it. You know, you hear a lot of negativity about Stockton, but once you come here and you see it for your own eyes, it's not like that.
4: As I head back to the row of longtime vendors, Rotana's table is hard to miss. A friend set up speakers behind her. Her cousin Bopa Om has joined her, and the two seem to never stop laughing.
3: We like to talk, play around too much. (laughs) We like to play. Bopa
4: wears some of the longest eyelashes I've ever seen. Rotana shines. She has latex gloves on her hands, but glittery makeup and sparkles on her headband, leggings, and phone. While Rotana grills the meat, Bopa builds papaya salad, ingredient by ingredient, to order. I'd like a papaya salad with one pepper. Okay. She starts with garlic, sugar, and that one pepper.
3: And then I just smash it. In English, we
4: call this a mortar and a pestle.
3: Cambodian is bal the tabar, and andre. Sweet paste, a little bit.
4: Then crab paste, long beans, grape tomatoes, okay.
3: pounding
4: as she adds each ingredient. She grates papaya, adds fish sauce, tamarind, then lime.
3: Five paste, make it sweet and sour. And then I put a noodle in. I like a little
4: noodle. Yeah. And some cabbage.
3: Mash together. And I almost done right now.
4: Bopas scrapes everything into a plastic bag and ties up the top.
3: Done. <laughs> done now. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Can we get some beef. Oh. How many tickets? How many tickets?
4: Anthony Montoya lives across the street and is buying a bag of egg rolls for his son.
3: I come here every weekend. She's just the only lady I come get them from. Why is that? Uh, she's, I don't know. They're the best. To me, I've I've had them from everybody here, but I always come back to these ones. Like, I, I'm, I get mad when she sells out. <laughs> I've came before and she sold out, and I was so devastated.
4: Everyone's got their favorite, but all the vendors at Angel Cruz Park are keeping the food traditions of this city alive.
2: That story was reported and produced by KLW senior editor Lisa Morehouse. You can listen to the rest of the series by subscribing to Lisa's podcast, California Foodways.
1: you're
2: You're listening to Cross Currents from KALW News. I'm Hannah Baba. Most people in the Bay Area still burn fossil fuels to heat their homes and showers, releasing greenhouse gases that contribute to smog and other harmful pollution. But it won't last for long. Clean air officials say we should get ready to switch to clean equipment in our homes. To learn more about what that means, we partnered with the San Francisco nonprofit Spur for a panel discussion at our pop up event space at 220 Montgomery. We invited three energy and environment experts Davina Hurt, chair of the Bay Area Air Quality Management District, Avni Jumder, regional director of Emerald Cities, a national coalition working to green cities. And Zoe Elizabeth, deputy director of decarbonization programs for Silicon Valley Clean Energy. Spur's Laura Feinstein, who moderated the conversation, kicks us off.
6: Let's start off. Um, Zoe, I'm hoping you can get us started. Uh, Can you explain to us what building electrification and zero pollution appliances are and why we're here to talk about them tonight?
7: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I'm going to start with the why, like why this is so important. Um, So the first thing is we often think about cars and factories as where pollution comes from. Um, But from a greenhouse gas emission standpoint in um, Silicon Valley's territory, and this is true pretty much across the state, over 40% of our emissions come from building appliances. Mostly that's heating, um, water, and space. Um, also, some some of that from cooking, right? And so we can't possibly meet our climate goals without uh, cleaner solutions, right? And then the other piece of this, which is why uh, we see these backbed rules also as such in such good alignment with our climate goals as well, is that um, the air pollution from these all of these small appliances that are throughout the state actually emit more NOx than all of the large um, energy sources in the state, right? So all of our big um, emitted factories that produce electricity, those small appliances are creating more NOx um, than all of that, right? So for our health and for our climate, we have to move to clean energy sources. And right now, those sources are uh, clean heat pumps that are produced or sorry are charged with electricity, right? So, so we're talking about electricity, even you think about there's natural gas in the electricity system, but it's only a small portion of it. Right now, California, Runs a lot of our energy from hydro and clean sources, so we can harness that electricity to power those appliances so instead of combusting fuels in our home.
6: Great, thank you so much, Zoe. So, Davina, I'm hoping we can um, hear from you. I think a lot of people listening tonight um, assume that, you know, given our ocean breezes and um, the famous clear air here in, or clear skies, I should say, here in San Francisco Bay Area, that the air quality in the Bay Area is very good. So as the chair of Air Quality Management District,
0: tell us the truth, is it? Uh Uh-oh, here we go. (laughs) Um, I would say it depends, and we can always do better and be better. And we have, yes, those beautiful ocean breezes that you can enjoy every day and some of us on weekends, but there are parts of the Bay Area, um, such as Santa Clara County, West Oakland, and neighborhoods near congested freeways and highways that have disproportionately the worst air quality than other parts of the Bay Area. And many of them are communities of color, and they're also impacted with many stationary sources that we all depend upon. So I think the bigger thing to really remember and think about is that the Bay Area currently just does not meet national and California standards for clean air pollution, and that includes particulate matter, that includes ozone, NOx, which is nitrogen oxide emissions, and as was said earlier, that's emitted from combustion, and it contributes to smog, and in particular, um, uh, particulate matter, air pollution. And so um, we shouldn't be fooled by the beauty of the bay. We definitely have places where we can uh, recreate and uh, be in pristine, beautiful places. But many of um us Folks spend a lot of their time in poor air quality, indoor and out. Uh, And so um, as the regulators uh, here in the Bay Area, we think about ways to improve the air for all. Um, and, And it's gonna take time and a lot of work from everybody.
6: So that was one of the things that I found most shocking when I first started learning about uh, clean appliances and building electrification, was that the Bay Area actually doesn't meet um, Clean Air Act standards. Uh, I think that's surprising to a lot of people to hear. Can you tell us a little more about what the Air
0: District's plans are to clean up the air quality in the Bay Area? Yeah, so I mentioned earlier to someone that we're gonna have a retreat. We're gonna um, talk about the planning of our strategy for the next five years because there is so much to do. The air district still faces a lot of big challenges around reducing air pollutants. And as you said, meeting state and federal air quality standards. And how do we do that when we have minimal resources um, to be health protective, to ensure community is a part of the decision making, and also keep diverse jobs and people in our communities? Um, I heard the other day a biologist say, um, we need wisdom for the solutions and courage to back it. And so the Bay Area Air Quality Management District Dropped and adopted two rule amendments last year to reduce air pollution from furnaces and hot water heaters in homes. Uh, they're known as Rule 94 and 96. And these rules require that future furnaces, and I want to emphasize future, and water heaters do not emit any NOx pollution. And so currently, um, the only one that can do that is electric. Appliances such as heat pump space and water heaters and um, and so we targeted this particular rule, which we've had authority for many years um, on home and water and heating appliances so that we can bring cleaner air to the bay area. Um, and what was really remarkable, I have to say, about this rule that we put out, is when we studied, we found, again, the most highly impacted folks were Asian residents, followed by Hispanic, Latino, African American, black, and then white residents. But who did we hear from who was really upset about this rule? There's a lot of hard truths I think we all need to come together and talk about, But the exciting thing about the Air District is that we're willing to have those and create spaces. And in particular, we created a community advisory council that's made out of the nine Bay Area districts, uh, people from the community that are working on these issues to talk further. And when you think about the rules that I just mentioned, um, it's gonna take some time and it's gonna need really great implementation plans and rules because um, change is not free or easy.
6: So, and any of you are free to take this. Um, let's say I'm a renter um, in uh, Albany, as I was until recently. And um, actually, let's take it from the point of view of my landlord. They were a landlord of a, you know, small apartment building, about 12 units, city of Albany. Um, in each unit, there was a um, a, a gas-powered um, water heater sitting in a utility closet. So how is the landlord of that building going to be affected by these new air district rules?
0: I'll take it, huh? Um, So what they will have to do is somewhat future thinking. So the rule doesn't go into effect until 2027 and 2029. Um, And so what they'll have to do is when it's time for a new water heater, When they go to the store, they will not find the electric or the gas. They will find the electric opportunity. And so they will just hopefully um, purchase that and uh, find a way to improve the air quality for their tenants. Uh, There are definitely challenges with that. We've talked a lot about workforce challenges and I think some others may go into that deeper. Um, But again, the rule um, is just providing such where we're gonna narrow what the options are and the options are gonna be cleaner options. And they won't be uh, necessary to change until it's time to uh, put in a new, new water heater, a new furnace. Great.
6: So it's not that somebody will come knocking on your door and tell you it's time to throw out your gas water heater or your gas furnace. It's that when it breaks and you go to a store or you call a contractor, the the options on the table will
0: be clean options. Yes, they're narrowed. And, And I would say when we put the rule into effect, Um, We were just looking at the NOx emissions, so if there is another innovation that happens between now and the rule that is outside of being electric, we're happy for it. Mm -hmm. We're agnostic to anything just being electric, but we want it to be clean. That was
2: Davina Hurt, chair of the Bay Area Air Quality Management District, Avni Jumdar, regional director of Emerald Cities, and Zoe Elizabeth, deputy director of decarbonization programs for Silicon Valley Clean Energy. That conversation was moderated by Laura Feinstein, SPUR's sustainability and resilience policy director. You can find a link to the entire hour-long conversation at kalw.org. This is Cross Currents. I'm Hanat Baba. Before we go, Cameron Park author Beverly Perino reads from her book about the psychological journeys of Filipino-American girls
1: and women. It's about this strength, the struggles, the resiliency of Filipino-American and Filipino girls and women. And here's one of my favorite parts where the protagonist visits An old, lonely woman on Christmas. What she really wanted to do, without knowing how to articulate it, or even admit it to herself, was paint. Not just study other painters and analyze their brush strokes, symbolism, use of color and imagery, but create something on the canvas. Her fear of exposure led her to do everything but paint, study other artists, visit museums, take a class trip to Florence to gaze at David at the Academia, and Botticelli's work at the Uffizi. Subscribe to art magazines, and even interview artists for a school project. Everything and anything except putting a brush to canvas.
2: That was Cameron Park author Beverly Perino reading from her book Wildflowers. It came out in May of last year. New Arrivals is produced by Lisa Morehouse. Find that episode and more at kalw.org slash newarrivals. Tune in tomorrow morning at eleven. We'll hear how, in prison, baseball can offer more than just physical benefits.
0: It's it's uh, literally, they almost sound corny. It saved my life, but it, the the fun aspect of what keeps me sane. Because we get to escape from reality, as Brandon used to say, two to three hours a day from being in prison.
2: Stigma, support, and sports in a new episode of Uncuffed tomorrow morning at eleven. And here's some local music before we leave you. This is Sad Snack from San Francisco. They'll be performing in Berkeley at 924 Gilman this Wednesday.
1: I look into the sometimes and-
2: Today's Cross Currents team includes Sarah Jesse, Lina Nagia Basuni, James Rollins, Ghanadi Joe Johnson, Victor Tense, Shireen Adil, Angela Johnston, Marissa Ortega Welch, Sunni Khalid, and Ben Trefni. Our opening theme music is by the John Santos Quintet, as interpreted by Daoud Anthony. For Cross Currents, I'm Hannah Baba.